Hello and welcome to another episode of Fish in the Percolator, a Twin Peaks Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Zedig, HMS No Fun on Twitter. And I am Lily. I exist. And I'm Eric, at Curia Rambles on Twitter. <gasps> wow. Three whole hosts of a podcast. That's incredible. Visit me on vampirefreaks.net. Oh. <laughs> Va- vampires. <laughs> Vampirefreaks.net. That's a non sequitur. I like it. Uh, I guess we should we should expect that much from you, Lily. Um, <laughs> so, um, Twin Peaks is a television show. Uh, we just watched. Uh, oh, there's a dog shaking yes. his little butt in my room. Um, we just dog watched. Butt, dog butt. Dog butt. Dog butt. See? Dog butt. <laughs> Lily, uh, Lily, you are the most consistently <laughs> on-brand person I've ever met. <laughs> Someone sets yeah. an expectation and then they meet it. That's you, like... <laughs> hey, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so we just watched uh, season one, episode two of Twin Peaks, uh, titled in the German version uh, Zen or the skill to catch a killer which is a fun sort of Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance reference it's not very good because the episode titles weren't actually written by anybody who worked on the show anyway <laughs> I got a I got a quote here about uh, I've got two quotes here that I want to read because I just I find one of them interesting and one of them very amusing so the first is from uh, Wendy Roby who played Nadine It was lovely working with David. He would go to each actor in a scene and he would have a word for you, a private magical word, and it was yours to use. It was kind of like a secret and it would be completely unexpected and often I would read a scene on the page and think, this is hilarious, but he would see it completely differently. He would see the horror and the pain and the sorrow and grief in something and take you to that place and yet you would still see the humor. Yeah, seems kind of relevant to the discussions we've been having. And then the other quote that I want to hit is just from Philip Siegel, who I'm not entirely sure uh, who or what Philip Siegel is, but he said, Lynch was just a fascinating person. Uh, He didn't like to prep the episode, so he just walked in and shot them. One particular day, he was an hour and a half late because he was pulling into the studio and had seen a license plate that started with 666, so he drove around until he saw another one that would cancel out the bad mojo from the first one. Oh my god. So I think we have a a good understanding of sort of David Lynch, the man. Uh, This is the second episode of Twin Peaks that David Lynch himself has directed. And uh, I think it's safe to say that this is a very Lynchian episode of the 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 Peaks double. It it has a very Lynchian sandwich time. <laughs> I saw a, a license plate that started C U M, and was very clearly a personalized plate the other day. Well, that was David Lynch's car. I similarly felt completely cursed, um, like it was a bad omen. Mood. Yeah, um, I was in I was in the car yeah. with my mom at the time. <laughs> she pointed it out to me. <laughs> Tragically, nothing can cancel uh, that out. <laughs> We've all been there. So let's talk about Twin Peaks. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about Twin Peaks. So this is a this is a really good episode of television, in my opinion. Oh yeah. This 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 one is kind of surprising to watch because when I think of moments that are like you say 
Twin Peaks season one, and I and I'm like, oh, free association. Ninety percent of the moments that come up to my brain uh, are moments from this episode. There's Audrey's dance. There's Leland's dance with Laura's picture. There's, there's the man from another place's th- dance. Yeah, there's the red room. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's uh, a lot of dancing in this episode. Generally, there's Agent Cooper's just buck wild bonkers dream <laughs> deduction technique love it uh and we also get to see albert for mm-hmm. the first time and he's a charming fellow a lot of stuff can happens I, in this episode. can i just say first i mean you're right like it is it is just like jam-packed with excellence this episode i just want to say this episode is the first instance of the pointed thumbs up like the little yeah, yeah. And I, I've been telling everyone about it. Like I've been like, "Hey, so I'm doing this Twin Peaks podcast," and I, then I, I get into talking about this specific scene because I love this scene so much. Um, Albert comes in, he's being a knob. Truman tells him, "I hear you're good at your job," and he's like, "Yeah, I'm great." And he's like, "I'm glad because otherwise I would deck you, mate." <laughs> and Albert leaves in a huff, and then. Cooper, who's been in the background just grinning like a maniac the whole time, just yeah. that, does that little, like, just you did it, buddy! Up. You did yeah. it! And I, oh my <laughs> god. I, I filled with so much joy. Like, if <laughs> if that thumbs up were a quote, I would have suggested naming the podcast that instead. I, I love that thumbs up. It is my favorite. I love it. It's just so good. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to point out, uh, when when uh, Harry threatens uh, Albert, the line that he says like really stuck out to me, and I don't know if this is some sort of like colloquialism of the time that was kind of gross, but he says like because mm. if you if it, normally if a guy came in here talking that kind of bull, I would uh, I deck him so hard that you'd be searching for your teeth uh, two blocks up on Queer Street, and that that the. I was thinking the same, like, it, you know, the yeah. use of queer there. I don't... I mean, I suppose queer just kind of means, like, odd, originally. Like it's, yeah, but, the, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun little saying, and I don't think that it has any uh, real, like, problematic undertones necessarily, but it could. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, it's one of those things, like, it just stood out. It's, it stands out to you. Yeah, for you sure. Know? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Let me talk about sandwiches. Let's all talk about oh, sandwiches. Let's talk about sandwiches. This is uh, Sandwich in the Percolator, a uh, sandwich <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we're just, just going to eat some, we're just going to chomp on some sandwiches, and you're going to hear that beautiful sound. Yeah. Um, ben and Jerry. Uh, okay. Ben, ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry's the ice cream, to take a complete, like, right turn. Um, was an existing brand for 20 years already. Yeah. Are Ben and Jerry named after Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> because... I believe they are. I, I believe they are. <laughs> I believe in my heart they are. I just didn't know if there was any textual, like, any, or any, like, evidence to support this. But, like, I... They are, like, hedonists. Like, as soon as, like, Jerry is introduced, he just, like, comes in and he starts eating. And, like, he gives Ben this sandwich. And Ben just ignores the dinner he's halfway through to eat mm-hmm. the sandwich. And they're just talking with their mouths full. They immediately depart to go to a brothel. Like, it's it's kind of... I, I think, like, 
not that Ben and Jerry's, you know, I mean, Ben and Jerry's have kind of made this very, like, innocent, woke brand nowadays, but, like, um, ice cream is obviously, like, an indulgence. And I just thought, like, actually there's kind of, you know, if they were named after that, it's there's kind of, like, a... There's this kind of cheeky... I don't know. Like, they are just indulging in all it's the another guilty food pleasures. Connection as well. Ice cream is a guilty pleasure. Yeah, again, yeah, absolutely. It's another it's yet another like food th- foodism of Twin Peaks. Um <laughs> there's also another cup of coffee in this episode <laughs> when Cooper spat out a cup of coffee to tell everyone yeah. it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um I also just want to point out since we're since we're talking about sandwiches that they they're they're losing their goddamn minds about these fucking French sandwiches when mm. it's like so it's, wild. It's, a, it's a ton of bread yep. and then some butter and brie. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like the, absolutely. Like it sounds delicious, but when I look at it, I just see a lot of bread oh, absolutely. with like some stuff kind of thrown on it. Yep. Which totally. like, you know, like anybody like, I love I love a bit of bread, but a sandwich <laughs> to me I'm an American, you know? I, I come from the land of blood and honey. That's not what that means. Uh, that's not where that Satan comes from at all. Uh, I come from I'm from God's country and <laughs> here in God's country we put a lot of stuff on our sandwiches. Sure. We just we look at we look at the two halves of the bread and we say, How could we fit half of an entire country's worth of food? I mean, into I'm, this sort of space. I'm totally with you when you have when you, you when you're looking to fill a sandwich. You're thinking, yeah, I, I, you when you fill a sandwich correctly, you feel an immense sense of pride. Um, God, I'm having a very specific. Shame. I'm having a very specific sandwich memory right now, which I won't go into on this podcast. But let me just tell you, it is a beautiful, a beautiful moment uh, for me. So. <laughs> She, Beautiful she is full of moments. secrets. <laughs> I want to say, uh, since since you jumped onto this immediately, that I I have another quote that's from Richard Beamer, who's the actor who played Ben. Well, hit us with it. Um, yeah. So when it came to the baguette scene, as I recall, um, he describes the circumstances of him eating. So David said, "I really take a big bite out of that." Uh, er, sorry. David told me, uh, really take a big bite out of that baguette when you're talking. And he did another take and said, no, 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 really fill your mouth up with that baguette. And I'm thinking, I'm a rich and sophisticated guy, and I've got this certain character going, and all of a sudden I'm eating this thing, and I just couldn't get it. I didn't understand how this connected with this character, but he just wasn't going there with me. He kept cutting and saying, no, I want more. I don't care if I even hear the words. So I finally did it more, but ultimately, as I got to know David, I realized he probably wanted a lot more. And I could have stuffed that in my mouth, and and, and it just says in brackets, loud nonsense. And he would have been really happy. But I didn't go that far. I kept pulling back because I didn't know how far I was supposed to go. Oh, wow. I think he got about 65% of what he was looking for. (laughs) Oh, that's delightful. I love that so much. That's so good. It's just um, such an incredibly like over the top wild yeah. scene like the the level of decadence and disruption that this sandwich represents is oh, yeah. incredible. It's all, well it's already like an opulent <laughs> environment like they've got that giant like stone fireplace that Jerry goes mm. and sits down on and they're like four pe- in the first place there are four people around an enormous table that they don't need and like 
you know and then he comes in and it's just like destroys everything because he's like marching in with a million servants like um mm-hmm. yeah um the the sandwich just being brie and butter this really is just a, a sandwich podcast now by the way <laughs> um the sandwich only being brie and butter i thought like it's one of those things it's very like um I don't know, I guess this is like just ge- a generally like urban center thing, but like in London we get a lot of hipster restaurants, and I remember my brother telling me about a restaurant that was like completely booked out for months ahead that was only fresh pasta, butter and sage, and it was like, li- like that was oh. it, like they would just make very high quality, the f- like absolutely fresh pasta and butter and sage, and it's it's yeah like there's a certain like i guess it just to, to me i think it does quite like quite fit with it, it It really does like click for like jerry's character especially but ben and jerry as well yeah. like um there's like very rich guys who just like are totally willing to just like throw their money at anything if somebody tells them that it's high quality like mm-hmm. um yeah like you know you just you just you're told that hey this restaurant only serves fresh pasta but it's like an authentic italian person is like making really fresh pasta like you know and they're just yeah. like fuck yeah i'll have that it'll be the best thing ever the same as just yeah. like literally a brie and butter sandwich <laughs> well there is this there, there is a, a focus on uh th- some level of like authenticity and freshness in mm. in the sense of like yeah this is this this uh, I got I got all these these sandwiches from France and I had one of these every yep. single damn day, mm. uh, and it's it's interesting. There's it we're on this dinner scene for like thirty seconds before Jerry arrives and yeah. it's just dead silent. And, oh yeah, they're not having and, a good and, time. And then Jerry just bursts in, <laughs> and I almost feel like Ben's enthusiasm is coming from him just being excited to have an excuse to get the fuck out of there <laughs> yeah uh, it does where, really feel that way yeah where it's like he just he just gets so excited and immediately he's just talking to his brother and then they they go off and then they're like in competition as to who gets to have sex first with the new yeah. girl at yeah. one eye jacks which is like the same sort of like the this weird freshness like she's she's this Oh yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. It's 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 very decadent. Yes. they're very into this. I don't know. There's there's a perception about the things that they consume that is what makes them good. And there's like that's the, very true. Yeah, the uh, the aesthetic of this bar that they they boat to that's uh, playing card. Thing yeah, I like I like that as a note. Know. That's very yeah. That's very true. Um, I have. W- I'm busting to share a piece of Brie trivia. Um, oh! And I might welcome. cut it in the edit, but let, I'm just going to go welcome, in on this. Welcome to Brie and the Percolator. A, a Brie-related Brie <laughs> yeah. podcast. Brie and the Baguette. Um, <laughs> so, um, English people have Brie a lot um, softer than French people do, because the way that French people made Brie when they like invented it as a thing... Um, they then like sold it they they then shipped it across to england and oh shit like our brie has all gone to crap like in the journey because it's like there's no way to refrigerate it this is back in you know with the middle ages Mm -hmm. or whatever 
And the English aristocrats there were just like, oh shit, this is the good shit. I love this. Um, <laughs> give, give me your sophisticated French cheese. And they just offloaded it. And uh, that is, and now English brie that is like made here is made like softer and, in my opinion, worse. Um, because like, um, and and to me, like the, the, that piece of trivia, I don't know, I just kind of think of it a lot when I think of brie. And I, it, it definitely yeah. kind of informs my opinion of ben and jerry is like they think they have taste but they suck <laughs> like oh oh they absolutely <laughs> suck and They're also especially because jerry actually brought these sandwiches from france so it's literally he is also like shipping like a bunch of yeah i don't know yeah i'm, tr- uh, I'm trying to relate this piece of trivia back in but that's only no, because it, no, i don't it, want to edit I, it out but i will it's appropriate it's going no, it's appropriate, <laughs> it's appropriate. We, we want we, we want the we want the sandwich and cheese discourse on this podcast <laughs> we want that i have the simple note that just says girls are sandwiches oh and i, uh, I have no elaboration yeah, for that that's true. just a note that i have enjoy that yeah i mean i, I see that yeah, yeah. it's sure, true <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you, I think like immediately following, uh, this, this, this brie and butter sequence, uh, just to establish how contemptible these rich assholes are, uh, Ben says we, the, uh, 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 Leland's daughter was murdered and the Norwegians left and Jerry says, did they sign? And I think go on for a bit. And then it's Mm -hmm. like. Did you say that? Did you say that Leland's daughter was murdered? Oh, man, now I'm sad. Yeah. Like, and then what? and then Ben just says immediately, "I can fix that." And that yeah, go to the brothel. Like, yeah, incredible. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm sad that our our lawyer's daughter was murdered. Let's mm-hmm. go have sex with underaged girls mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Canada. Like, jeez, yep. I wanted. I had a, I had a um when you brought up the yeah the like the the new girl thing. I, I really thought the the shot uh, in which uh, Ben is moving in towards the new girl really kind of paralleled the shot where Leo is moving it like the POV shot from the previous episode mm. where Leo is moving in to hit uh, Shelley. I just it, mm-hmm. oh no, had had break. Well, I want to tell you two about a couple of podcasts on the Lunar White Studio Network. God, yes. First Hell yeah. Up, first up <laughs> is Cryptid Keeper. Cryptid Keeper is hosted by Addison and Alex. It's a show where every week they discuss a cryptid. Oh. So they, they've, they've done episodes on all your favorite cryptids like the Mothman, and the Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil. Is there one on Lily? Moth Cub. Yeah, they've done one on, on Moth Cub. Now I'm listening. On the, the I don't think Cub. they no, uh, discussed me in a very favorable light, so I will potentially be suing them. Um, maybe they'll do an episode about that. I don't know. Watch this space for the legal uh, drama updates. It's going to be thrilling. Edge of your seat stuff. Yeah, it's going to be the biggest trial since the OJ Simpson. Oh, God. Um, it's a it's a really fun good upbeat show uh that's hosted by a horror fan and an appalachian uh cryptozoologist uh that's i don't believe that's her actual title but 
it's the impression that I get from listening to the podcast. Anyway, it's a good fun, and you can find Cryptid Keeper every single Sunday on the Lunar Light Studio Network. Until the I have next, it cancelled. Until we have it cancelled, yes. Until it gets ripped away from us. By Destroyed. A frivolous lawsuit. <laughs> Uh, which it'll be a huge blow for the network because it's one of the highest traffic bringers. Anyway, uh, <laughs> next next up is Overwitch. Overwitch Over is an Overwatch podcast. Overwatch hosted by Ray Joe and Terrence. It's an Overwatch podcast. Mm. Where, what, what, what is that? What? what, what oh, uh, it, which over <laughs> is it? We don't know. It's an Undertale Overwatch podcast. Tell show, me more. Yeah. Yeah, where they uh, they discuss news about overwatch and changes and stuff uh but more than that it's them discussing other games in terms of would we wait. rather play this or overwatch wait a minute oh. wait, it's about games i thought it was about like replacing your watch parts what oh <laughs> that's a good joke so <laughs> you they 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 talk about uh, other games they sometimes have guests and it's really good because they've been branching out to try to get into like, indie games and have a more positive spin uh, so it's not just an Overwatch podcast I don't really play Overwatch but I listen to it and it's fun it's a good oh. time to hang out with friends Rad. and you can find Overwitch every other Friday on the Lunar Light Studio Network Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts very nice did they talk about chess? I don't think they've talked about chess. I'll get the I'll, oldest I'll, game. I'll, I'll, I'll send. Do them. they talk about Scrabble? I don't think they've talked about Scrabble. Oh, then I'm not interested. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> this All ad right. break is just us trying to destroy our competitors from within the network. Yeah. <laughs> just pure antagonism. <laughs> That's the end of the ad break. Um, so who do we think stole the show this episode? I, well, okay, before I say that, I, I do want to say, in the previous episode, I said the villains were stealing the show, right? Leo mm -hmm. was, I, I thought, particularly a very convincing, good performance in this episode, he really gave it back again. He just, like, um, not because of the performance was bad, but that, like, Leo as a character was, like, trusting these two teenagers with $10,000, yeah. and he's really mad, and also he's getting cocked by one of them. Like, yeah. Leo is pathetic in this episode. Like, he... So, we were watching it, and Natalie said... Uh, I, I wrote, that, wrote in my notes what she said. Um... What fucking loser trusts two teenagers with $10,000 in drug money? And then, like, after a minute more of watching, she said, He's not even scary, he's such a loser. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, I love, I love his, his line where he, they're in the woods, and he says, You punks owe me ten grand! And he shines mm -hmm. the flashlight down at his shoes, oh, and the guys look down, and he says, Leo needs a new pair of shoes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What a what weird a... guy. No good. <laughs> Absolutely like, no good. He's like, Tommy, what's up? Um, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> 
what are you just going to stand there like Statue of Liberty? <laughs> um, so, um, okay. Uh, but, okay, but that wasn't actually the answer to the question. So, uh, to me, I think, honorable mention to um, Hawk, I really, I thought, like, I just, you know, I, I find his his performance kind of consistently quite, com- like, like mm-hmm. compelling to me. But, the, yeah, honorable mention, I think to me, actually Cooper uh, was just really, like, I mean, yeah. it's kind of a big episode for him. I already said, like, I love that little thumbs up. Mm. Yeah. Yes. He's really, like, doing that transition into, like, the lovable Cooper people remember after yeah. the first couple of episodes of being, like, a, a weird dickhead. Um and he has a lot to react to in this. I mean, the, the dream at the end, and like he does it. It's it's yeah. I, for me, I think he really lands that. I think I would pick out uh, Nadine again. I think in this and the previous episode, it kind of builds mm-hmm. together. But in this uh, one, where we get her like her whole thing with the uh, drape runner, um, and the like, f- the like vastly different reactions. Firstly, when um, Ed like. Gosh steps on it and like drips grease on it and she's like so mad and then like bends the pole and stuff and like (laughs) screaming and you're just like okay um and then later on when she's like so almost opposite like ecstatic because she realizes that um the grease getting on the cotton ball has allowed her to finally do it (laughs) and it's just such a like it's just incredible yeah. We're gonna be so rich <laughs> yeah. from our silent drape runners. Oh man. I, and I love the idea that no one in, had ever thought of cotton balls soaked in in like engine oil. Yeah. Yeah. It's like or or grease or whatever. Like Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> this is a this is a uh a, a season three thing, but um when mm. Ed was opening his hands with opening the door handle, I I and his, did, I, and his did, hands I know were exactly. Covered entirely, like I was going to point this out too. And Natalie just went, "Ooh, foreshadowing." Um, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. The way that I I did notice that, like the way that he's just covered in oil and everything, yep. I was like, "Oh, this is some season three shit for sure." Yeah, Lily, uh, I know you haven't seen it, so I won't. I won't. Let's try yeah. not to go off on a long thing because it'll be very boring for you. But like, when we get there, I hope you remember. We'll. Well, this is a scary thing. Well, it's very shock. scary. It's it, it's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Okay, let's carry. Yeah, on. it's yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> um, so I think the person the person who steals the show for me uh, has to be Albert, just because he's. I mean, M- Miguel Ferreira is just such a good actor, and he plays the dickish like. FBI agent. Mm. I, I guess I should give him like special mention because he's only in one scene here, and I like his. I like one of his scenes in the later episode better. But I just like every time he shows up, I'm just like, yeah, it's this asshole. That's a good point. Like the definitely, you know, kind of by definition of the like stealing the show. He, I mean, Albert has a powerful energy. Like, yeah, yeah, inarguably, he walks in. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, just to go back to Nadine for one second, um, I, I think there's a really interesting contrast between the relatively early scene of Nadine like screaming at Ed um, because mm. of the like grease on the runner incident 
And then later on, uh, Catherine shouting at Pete to get his boots off mm-hmm. her bed. And it's like an interesting, oh, like they both yeah. have those moments. Get your boots off my bed and go to your room. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, like that's... get mink oil on my bedspread. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine is like just such a villain like every scene is literally it's just literally like well you just suck leave go away please like um, (laughs) yeah pete like pete pete doesn't just exist for this purpose but like a lot of his scenes are like he's the lovable puppy so catherine can kick the puppy like yeah absolutely yeah um since since lily with the fish took a liking to my perkle <laughs> god yeah um Nothing. since lily went back to nadine I'll, I'll also go back to my fave boy uh cooper i just thought the rock throwing scene um mm. i think i like since first watching i i you know i think there's something quite compelling about it it's like a there's something almost like emotionally true about this idea of a method where like somebody says the names of the people connected right and then you try to perform a task and if you succeed at the task then it means that like subconsciously or on another plane like you know it's true or something i just thought that was something quite like you know without like a deep explanation of it it just kind of works you're like oh i get i I kind of get how this works and then andy gets hit in the head with a rock and it's sad. <laughs> Honestly, this that whole scene of all of them in the woods is exactly how I plan out my YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have as many donuts just lying on Absolutely, um, yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I just I love how many everything. donuts. I just love how many donuts are in yeah. every police scene. It is yeah. magical. I, I, it's so good. I have a note that says, the plate of donuts, and then there's seven exclamation marks. that is a correct note (laughs) yeah accurate objectively correct yeah i uh the 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 rock scene sticks out to me for so many reasons in part like we're so inundated now with like detective shows and murder mystery shows and so much of them are of the csi mold of like Oh yeah, highly yeah. quote unquote scientific investigation. Yeah. So it's really cool that like one of the first real bits of investigating that we do is just this dipshit throwing rocks at a <laughs> bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so good. Yeah. And what I also adore is that you don't have the the the, the, the obvious thing would be to have this weird out of town guy do this stuff, and the people in, uh, uh, who are local to Twin Peaks be like. This is this is ludicrous. What this you're just throwing rocks at a bottle. That doesn't yeah. mean anything. And then for yeah. them to be proved wrong. But instead they're just like they're just on board. Like he opens it by saying, like, in order to talk about this this method, I first must tell you about Tibet. And yes. he flips over the, the board yes. and it cuts to them and all four of the, the officers yeah. just sort of like lean forward in their chairs. Yeah. They love it. They're just, they're just so they're, they're so on it board up. with it. They love it and so it's much. Like, it's it's just like it's really charming and nice just the fact that they're like i don't know they they don't necessarily like get it but they're like yeah sure fuck it why yeah, not so <laughs> earnestly ready to just take part without question in all of that yes. yeah yeah i feel like it's, it's maybe 
like even funnier after kind of having consumed a lot of kind of different true crime content and and learning about the ins and outs of of so many cases and so many parts of investigations and like all of the problems and yeah. screw ups that have happened in so many real cases and like and like mm. watching that now there's something almost more real within that yeah it's funny right because like when you're watching say csi or whatever like the way you would like nitpick that like show like if you thought there was something wrong with it you'd be like oh they got it wrong you don't use this kind of chemical for fingerprint analysis you use this kind of chemical like mm. the way you should nitpick it is it's not agent cooper throwing rocks at a bottle six, <laughs> six inches away yeah. And then yeah. determining the killer based on whether the rock hits the bottle. On, like, that is, like, it's it's entertaining. It's good. It, you know, it's, and it's such a good meta moment for a writer as well to just go, like, what deductive, you know. Like, it, I've always thought this about writing murder mysteries. Like, if you have the answer and, you know, you like, however much, you know, however much there is twists and turns in the mystery it's up to you, you know, and that's just a degree of you just obfuscating with more and more clout, like, you know, clouding the, the, the answer with, like, all these details you're just throwing in there. And, like, it's, uh, it's, there can definitely be a point where you just go, oh, fuck you, when you're, like, watching a murder mystery because the writer is just withholding yeah. the answer and feeling smug about it. Yeah. And it, it felt like a meta, a very self-aware kind of thing to just be, like, well, how does he solve the mystery? Uh, magic. <laughs> he throws yeah. a rock at a bottle. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it, it feels so much also like it kind of mirrors the desire of an audience to find ways to solve questions like that. I want to share an anecdote uh, yeah. very, very quickly about this scene that Kyle MacLachlan uh, related where... Uh, the 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 shot of him actually hitting the bottle whenever he says Leo's name, uh, th that's that's actually him throwing that rock, and that's after you know forty or fifty takes, but they apparently all took turns before, and huh. uh, the only person to get the shot uh, after like sh she got it on on her first try, and everybody else didn't get it at all after several tries was the actress who played Lucy. Uh, so she, she's a powerful woman. Yeah, that's just I don't her, know. She's... her powerful energy. Yeah, I mean, I could have predicted yeah. it. Like, it's just true. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's fantastic. I really like that. Uh, yeah. So this is this is getting into kind of the weirder aspects of uh, of the show, mm. and like we uh, uh, we get. We get the red room at the very end of the episode. Yes. And it's, this is one of my favorite aspects of the show. Again, like how, how much of it is improvised, how much of it is cobbled together. All of the, all of the stuff at the end, the uh, Bob saying, I'll catch you in my death bag. And oh God. Uh, the, the fire walk with me speech from Mike. And, and the entire Red Room sequence itself all comes from the European ending uh, yeah. of the pilot. Uh, 
Yeah. And there was all stuff that they could have thrown away, but they decided to use anyway. And it's so, it's so weird. Just, I'm trying to picture being, you know, 20 something years old Mm. in 1990 and watching this episode on television as it aired. I'm trying to imagine what that was like. (laughs) Yeah, completely. And And I was just thinking about like so many TV shows and comedy shows have parodied the Red Room scene Mm -hmm. uh, and and so many parodied it at the time. It's it's just like, it's, I guess we're so used to weird, high concept television now that it's like, yeah, this is weird, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's on brand, but it's, it's, I get, I, I lose my words thinking about how ludicrous it is that anybody let this stupid shit go to air <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that people watched it and were like, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> For years. Yeah. 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 And we'll, to be fair, and we're doing that now. <laughs> we are doing that now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so improbable. This is endless this... cycle. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad it happened, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Ali and AJ just put out a music video, which is very Red Room inspired, just like last week. Oh, oh okay. So I, it, is, it is certainly still iconic, an incredibly like... current reference. Right. <laughs> yeah. I um, slightly diverting. I uh, well, it has to do with Mike and Bob. I. Last time we talked about um, Mike and Bob and Bobby and Mike, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, I've always thought was really interesting. But it made me think about how um, there are like pairs of villains throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, two people encouraging one another, kind of, you know, bringing out the worst in one another, egging each other on. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so there's Leo. In this episode, there is Leo and whoever's lurking in the shadows um there's bobby Mm. and mike there's um i mean we've already seen Catherine and ben together and the thing is like there's kind of a like Catherine and ben are having an affair and so there's kind of a go along with me vibe to that obviously but they are literally planning a fire there's um then there's like bobby and mike kind of are pretty inseparable they are, they do go around everywhere together i i just, just think that, that this kind of thing of pairing villains to me i think it plays nicely with the fire walk with me line because like uh there's an idea of sort of seduction into an evil life like a, a life of yeah. sin and indulgence and crime or whatever and it's like yeah walk with me is is like these pairs sort of saying to each other like you know go with me and do Mm. whatever evil stuff and and in particular when bobby and mike were running away from leo there was this pov shot of them as they ran through the woods um we don't know whose pov obviously i kind of just assumed it was bobby because he's just more of a central character um which i guess in may in fact play into I, i know sarah you have a uh, an enigmatic yeah. Bobby theory that you'll re- re- reveal to us at some point. Um, 
but it was incredibly like animalistic like it was just incredibly like they were like you know some like wolf or something running through the woods um yeah yeah i just yeah i i just thought that this pairs thing and fire walk with me really plays nicely together uh i guess uh i should bring up uh i guess a, a scene that's like very probably pretty iconic probably um maybe my favorite scene of this episode which is when Audrey and Donna are sitting together yes. talking <laughs> and then we have this whole thing where suddenly Audrey says god I love this music isn't it too mm-hmm. dreamy and she's Isn't talking about the music that up until that point, it's like very much non-diegetic seeming yeah. music, right? And I just, I love it. Like, oh, yeah. Because suddenly it's like, what, um, what's going on? And it, and it just calls <laughs> into question everything about what the show is and where you're positioned mm-hmm. like as a viewer to it and like where the characters are positioned in relation to whatever Twin Peaks is, like... It's just really cements this like otherworldly confusing equality in a kind yeah, of a, totally. in a kind of like shocking way in that moment. Yeah, that's so true. I, I thought like I was watching um one of the scenes where Audrey's like standing around just like dancing to music. Um she like I, I was just thinking about exactly that like kind of dreamy quality and how although i'd always found audrey like a captivating character before before i'd seen season three i I never thought like she actually had kind of a paranormal significance i thought she was very much like one of the more grounded real world characters even though Mm. she kind of seems to have like well emotional problems as she puts it um (laughs) but then like as you say there is this like thing where she like call like she directly like addresses the diegesis of the scene and like, um, so yeah, it's... so like Lily, this is a this is a spoiler to you. And along the lines of uh, <laughs> you can't spoil Twin Peaks, you're just gonna go oh, okay. Um, <laughs> later, like Audrey is one of the people who wakes up from reality and looks in the mirror and screams, right? Like she's she she's one yeah. of the people who maybe is the the dreamer of the intersubjective reality or whatever it is, like season three stuff. She. You know, she's one of the people who who wakes up. So, like, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. There's something this, going this on po- with her, actually. Yeah, this point about the music is also interesting because uh, in the previous episode, she's in uh, she's in Ben's office listening to music really loud and just sort of dancing, mm. and uh, Ben comes in and shuts the music off. And they I think get that's into the one argument. I'm thinking of. Yeah. And and Ben says, you know, Laura died two days ago. I lost you years ago. And then mm. it kind of dollies in on uh, on Audrey, and the music picks back up as as she's like looking after him. Like the music picks back up in her head, and it's wow, interesting because so I think true. it's like the same. I think it's the same song, or if if it's not, it's a very similar one, and here we never see her turn it on i don't think wow she's just playing and so it's like 
maybe it isn't happening diegetically. And that's why everybody's like, what is this bitch doing? <laughs> like everybody looks at her so weird. <laughs> no, that's but true. She, Cause she's just dancing she does, to nothing. But she's just, she's just dancing. Yeah. And she's and, saying to her friend, this music is so dreamy. And so there's dreamy. The music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, uh, I have, I have my own reservations about the, the, the dreamer theory and the idea of, of Twin Peaks as dreams and that often to me feels like a critical dead end but well yeah uh, it is it is very significant that every single episode at least in the first season contains some reference to or use of the word dreams yes Um, i think i mean we we can get into we can yeah when we get round to season three we can argue dreams but um inarguably like something happens with like cooper with like a small set of characters in season three and audrey is one of them and that's what i'm saying like she is a a paranormal significance that like i just didn't think of before and i I, you know re-watching these episodes it kind of like stands out a bit more she's oh actually she's kind of a you know one of these people like in touch with something or other and that parallel especially between her and laura palmer i you know laura died two days ago but i lost you years ago it's like you're lost in the same way you're like disconnected mm-hmm. from reality the same way mm-hmm. a dead person is and it's interesting that a lot of what we see about Laura like a lot of the intrigue is discovering the seedy underbelly of her life like that her like cocaine addiction and uh, the, the the details of what she was doing the weeks before she died and how much of that ties to what we would like conservatively look at as like debauchery and as like a corrupting influence. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting that Audrey is a character who is sultry and very overtly sexual by her own choice. It seems like, uh, and in control of her sexuality. And that this seems to be at least by the, the people around her on some level, like equated to, a fall from grace on her part. Yeah. So we're, we've already got themes of like the, the sexuality and maturity of women as kind of inherently sinful. I don't know when to, uh, I don't know when to bring up a comparison to Jennifer's body. Um, when I was, <laughs> when I was watching Jennifer's body, I was like, holy balls are these guys, twin peaks fans. Like it's one of those things in the same way that <laughs> this is such a derail. Um, it's one of those things in such, in the same way that like Fifty Shades is a twi- Twilight fanfic. Like, right. I feel like Jennifer's body was a fanfic of Donna and Laura Palmer that got like out of hand. Oh. Like, it's it it feels so that way to me. Like, but um, interesting. I yeah, like I say, I just don't know when to bring it up because like it, it <laughs> maybe it's something to bring up when we when we watch Fire Walk with me. Um, maybe I'll bring the, bring this back in then. But like, I yeah. um. Yeah, I just whenever like kind of when Donna's around talking about Laura, talking about like the the dark, you know, it, it's like you were saying just then, like the seedy underbelly stuff, and like mm-hmm. this life that like yeah, sort of um, other characters feel like they can't approach. Um, it's like yeah. yeah, I think about that so much of the time. Yeah. Um, does anybody ever have any other notes that they? are really dedicated to getting in. I ran out of notes a while ago. I have one that just says, Foomt ball. 
<laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. Thank you. Leo is a really good thrower if he can <laughs> do that with a, with a deflated football. Yeah. Also, it does play into Leo is so pathetic. Like this, I don't know. I, I just thought like in the previous episode, or was it earlier in this episode, like he, he's cutting up the football. Yeah. And then like in this episode, like when I saw him cutting up the football, I thought like how how kind of like the, this like jock character you said earlier this like roided up guy like yeah that that yeah it just fits like he's hiding yeah. stuff in in a, in, a, in a football in this episode it's this deflated for like right <laughs> it, it's very much leo needs a new pair of shoes <laughs> yeah <laughs> Leo needs a new football. <laughs> yeah. My football was tragically ruined by a knife. <laughs> that I stabbed it with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've all been um, there. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> I do... Uh, so, there is a weird scene where Leland takes Laura's picture and dances with it. And oh, poor Leland. S- Sarah, oh, yeah. Sarah comes in and starts screaming, what's going on in this house? Uh, just from a production anecdote what fascinates me is that they're swinging around with that picture and then he trips and like shatters it mm. uh he actually like cut his hand on the glass the actor oh, no. cut his hand on the glass and was in the scene you can actually see it in the shot Fuck. where he sees the, the blood and you see sarah uh you see grace sabrisky sort of like pull back a little bit like she's about to to, to comfort him or like I don't know do, she, there's a moment where it seems like something different is going to happen there's a reaction mm. but then Leland kind of just keeps going with it and like smears his blood on her picture oh my god and that's that's the thing that's in the shot is like that's actually his blood that he's smearing on Laura Palmer's face wow yeah <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> that's uh wow <laughs> I, I like that anecdote um, a lot. I don't know what to do with it, but it's, like, intense. Right. <laughs> um, oh, there's so many anecdotes like that. Uh, <laughs> David Lynch very much ran his set, like, come up with stuff and just run with it. Just see what happens. This magical, uh, haunted the, show. Aud- yeah, I mean, Audrey's dance, that scene, apparently, uh, Audrey, had, they, they had written a different scene that, that was taking place, like, a different dialogue exchange in that same scene. Hmm. And uh, Lynch came in that day and was like, hey, uh, listen to this music that me and Angelo Badalamenti just came up with last night. It's your theme. And we're just going to oh do God. this scene where you dance to it. And the actor who played Audrey is like, uh, but I, I spent a really long time getting my previous scene right. And he's like, well, we're not doing that. We're doing this. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's a lot of anecdotes like that. Um, Jesus. I I I, I want to before we get to the big leading question. I want to get back to the red room, uh, and just sort of linger on like what what do you make of that as a sequence? There has been a lot of dancing through the episode, and I I love that the man from another place dancing is is just what the credits roll over, like mm-hmm. yeah, just like we had. We had the the dreamy dancing of uh, Audrey Horn. We had the the horribly sad dancing of Leland, and then there's this, 
you know, th- there's this this guy who speaks backwards, and he's mm-hmm. like, and he's in this little like tuxedo or whatever, like th- this this really like kind of snappy suit that's kind of like he's a showmaster or something, and he's just and he's and he's doing this this dance like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I um. This is like a, a note about the uh, the the backmasking technique they they use for the speech. There are shots where at the like end of yeah like the end of the shot they look off to the side very thoughtfully after speaking. And yeah. if you think about it backwards, that the actor going, hmm, how do I say this? Like <laughs> the yes, and I love that. I just really 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 love that like. They leave in the at the end of the shot, the actor looking over to the side and thinking, "How how do I say the words?" They didn't like, you know, make them perform it kind of more naturally than that. Like, yeah, it it's, adds it's to meant some, to be you know, very awkward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, the dancing was probably the most striking thing to me. I, I just really like, yeah, it, it, these different. Oh, cripes. Oh, sorry, everything's fine. Um. Uh, these. Sweetie, play an Xbox. <laughs> um, Natalie just picked up a controller. Um, okay. Um, it's just like these different uses of dancing, and like none of them are like fun and happy. It's Mm-mm. it's so like menacing, sad, preoccupied dancing. It's I I really like it. Yeah. And it is interesting, given our like obsession with with Cooper as kind of this lecherous guy. He, uh, he, uh, Laura Palmer, kisses him, mm. and it, and then and then tells him a secret. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's so much like weird symbolic resonance with the dream that like. She actually it's tells him uh, Lily's sandwich story from earlier that she refused to tell us. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then and then Cooper wakes up and and calls Truman and says, "I know who killed Laura Palmer. <laughs> no, it can wait until morning." Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Such a great line. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just incredible just again incredible. again there's like that sense of poking fun at the audience because like it's such a like you know clearly it's a cliffhanger mm-hmm. and he's just saying for no re- good reason at all <laughs> yeah it can wait <laughs> yeah yeah and yep. his, and again, his hair very, is all messed up just like the bottle throwing the, the rock throwing scene it's very meta self-aware use of the murder mystery literally no i'm gonna delay until next episode just because i feel like it like yeah yeah lily did you have um strong feelings about the the red room um it's just a very it's just a a kind of powerful thing really overall isn't it like Mm. i mean there's a reason it's been such an enduring image because it really just takes you to this place where you're like what? Yeah. What's happening? 
where am I? Um, and the, yeah, and then you have the backwards voice, and you're like, oh, demons or something. Like, what? It, where? Uh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 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 yeah, again, yeah, yeah exactly. it's really interesting the kind of use of dancing as a sort of almost thematic kind of gap bridge between like different kind of states. You know, everyone Everything dancing in, so in this episode is to do with like noticing something is wrong. Yes. Yeah. And also in this last, the last example of the man from another place, knowing something's wrong and not knowing what the fuck it is. Like he's just dancing and the credits are rolling. Yeah. And it's like I feel really <laughs> uncomfortable. I think that the, uh, the, the red room, uh, is like it's so sinister and so striking and then he wakes up and like you say he goes he rings harry i know who killed laura palmer yes it can wait until morning and it's just like uh that that place he was just in was incredibly sinister but it told him who killed laura palmer it wasn't like it wasn't what killed laura palmer like you know you just saw this incredibly scary thing but instead of going aha it's just a paranormal thing i don't need to care about the mystery anymore you instead like oh a paranormal thing told him the answer we should still care about this mystery for some reason <laughs> so like uh, and i just thought that was a oh, uh, yeah ooh. like they did a good job of and not making you just care about the red room yeah and it's interesting that he comes out of the dream and he's like snapping yeah like, oh my god yeah that where... creeped me out so much it still it's, does. It's creepy, but it's also part of what makes Cooper a good detective is his ability to look past the creepy, nightmarish yeah. stuff <laughs> and see the relevant information. Yeah. So he can like the all uh, uh, the two things that he got out of this kind of horrific nightmare is I know who killed Laura Palmer and that was a really snappy song. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um is the I I I might be remem- misremembering but there is definitely one shot in one of the sequences in the Black Lodge where something a shadow moves across the screen behind the Oh curtain. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's that, that happens here. Yeah. That yeah, it's really a, scary. Looks like a paper airplane. I hate that yeah, so it, much. It, I hate that thing. It's <laughs> it, it it bugs me. Yeah, and they never, as far as I remember, they never really repeat it. And it is like, it's it's viscerally upsetting as a oh, thing yeah. that just it's like it, hereditary. It, yeah. Oh, have you oh. seen Hereditary? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the thing moving across the ceiling. It's really horrible. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Sorry, that's just that's a good comparison. Yeah, I just yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I just I just hit you with a high level important idea and sent your brain into recovery mode. I guess. <laughs> um. So so Cooper knows who killed Laura Palmer, but who do we think killed Laura Palmer? Oh, oh boy, I think really boring guess this week. Um really boring guess uh the guy who's standing in the shadows by leo the mysterious figure who we don't know who it is right now yeah some crime guy who leo knows (laughs) mysterious crime guy mysterious crime guy i don't think we ever learn who that is 
Hmm. <laughs> it's like ongoing. It's question. like probably Jacques Renault or something. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. But yeah, mysterious crime guy. Like if I, you know, week by week, I'd be kind of like, well, I mean, they just introduced a guy who's really sinister. There yeah, he is. It's probably because like the thing is like Leo is too obvious. Yeah. Uh, he's Feels like he's a setup. so foregrounded as the. Uh, yeah. This this episode is so weird. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to pick somebody that like. Hmm. At this point, I'd be thinking Ben. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I I think I'm with you on that one because, at this point, when we heard from the coroner's report that, uh, Laura had, had sex with at least three different men before she died, and now we find this like, uh, this brothel that is populated yes. by underage women. Yes. And. I don't think it's made explicitly clear the connection that Ben has to it, but it's uh, very clear that there's a business connection there because he knows the owner, all the employees know him. That's very true. Uh, yeah, I could see him doing it. Ben's and also, a good yeah, villain. did did he did he ever did yeah do you he he say he used to sing to Laura? That's something that Audrey says. Oh, that uh, uh, Ben used to sing to Laura, which is such a creepy thing to do. <laughs> and again, yeah, this the show the show really likes to take pleasant things and make them deeply unpleasant. Oh like, yeah, totally. everybody dancing to music is like yeah. really unsettling. And then yeah. just the idea of uh, uh, Ben singing to to Laura is like, oh no, what does that imply? Oh yeah, what is their relationship? Oh totally, yeah. absolutely. I've just remembered. Um, I'd like, like, I'm not amending my guess. I'm, I'm still going with the very pedestrian, mysterious crime guy guess. But um, uh, the bot, the rock throwing yielded two results. One was Leo, okay, obvious plant, and the other one was Doctor Jacoby. And in a previous episode, I think I said like Doctor Jacoby gives off, you know, powerful, yes, <laughs> yeah, murderer vibes. Yeah, there's a there's another there's my backup guess. There he is. Yeah, that's a good guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I my my guess my guess is Ben. I think that it's who I agree with. <laughs> okay, that's pretty I, fair. I, ben is a great it, villain. Gosh, this there's a this episode had some serious thematic meat to it, didn't it? Oh yeah. Oh. What is what is yeah. Twin Peaks? Uh, what well, is shenanigans? What is shenanigans? Um, <laughs> So what, is what is shenanigans? What is shenanigans? And David Lynch scratching his chin. Oh, what is shenanigans? Uh, well, uh, I've been one of your hosts, Sarah, HMS No Fun on Twitter. I've been Lily at Cubmoth. Please send me your hot takes. I'm still Eric at Curia Rambles on Twitter. Bye for now. Bye. He's in the groove. <laughs> you can email us your comments, questions, and suggestions at fitpacast at gmail.com. That's F-I-T-P-Cast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at F-I-T-P-Cast.
We are hosted by the Lunar Light Studio Network. You can support us through their Patreon by going to patreon.com slash lunarlighthq and picking our podcast when you sign up. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.